Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to Local Church, all my church family online, all those at Everglades Correctional, everyone here today. I'm Eric, I'm one of the pastors here, and, and today we're concluding this teaching series called Triggers and Buttons. We've been talking about mental health and how it's not a game, how God wants to grow and strengthen us so we can be and do all the things that he's called us to be. And so we've been talking about some serious things and kind of surrounding them from, from one of uh, the millennial pastors times the arcade and I've said this every single week but I grew up in the arcade like the arcade was a significant place of development for me in my life for my bachelor party okay don't tell me what you did for your bachelor party I know a lot of bachelor parties involve debauchery my bachelor party we went to an arcade we played video games. We had fun that way. David Furpy was there. Like, we, we just went to the arcade. The, uh, two weeks ago for Cinco de Mayo, we invited a bunch of local pastors for just to come together and to have some fun with no agenda. Because, you know, pastoring's not easy and Easter and preparation, all of that. So we just invited a bunch of local pastors. You know where we went? We went to an arcade. And I beat every single pastor at every single game. Hey, I want to let you know, we believe that God did not create us to compete with other churches. He created us to help complete them. And so we love other churches. We, we pray and we bless other churches. But when it comes to video games, they're going down. It's just, that's just the way it is. And I know kids today, oh gosh, I'm, I'm sounding like the old guy now. Kids today, they just don't appreciate the arcade anymore. Because it's not the same thing like we grew up with. You know, it's more like a casino for children now. You pay money, and the only games are these redemption games where it's like, it's a game of chance, and am I going to win? And, and then you get tickets that come out, and then after your money is all spent, you go and redeem those tickets for cheap plastic trinkets. It's, it's not worth it. It's a waste of money. But if I'm honest, those just, it, it feels also like a waste of a millennial pastime. <laughs> As an elder millennial I want you to know that our, our kids will never experience the arcade like we have. It's a little bit sad, but it's something that I had to embrace and something that I had to release. Uh, in fact, a long time ago, a little bit over 10 years ago, my wife and I, by the grace of God, we, we started a church. And my experience before that was simply being a youth pastor but God put this undeniable and unshakable calling in my heart and in our lives to start a life-giving local church that would love and serve the community that it was placed in. And so it was about a, a week before our first public interest meeting. And Jessica goes and leaves the house to get some groceries. And I'm playing PlayStation when this anxiety overtakes me. Like, I start weeping. Like, we talked about weeping several weeks ago. I'm ugly crying. I'm like, ah, ah I, can't, I, can't, I can't believe we're going to do this. And I start talking to myself. And I start saying all these negative things like, I bet Francis Chan doesn't, doesn't play PlayStation. I bet Andy Stanley, I bet he doesn't he binge Netflix shows. And so I'm saying all these negative things about how I can't compare to all these other pastors that I looked up to. And I felt that I was unworthy. And I felt that I wasn't ready and I felt that there was no way that I could pastor adults because I still felt like a child. But in that moment, I, I, 
I heard the Holy Spirit. I heard a still small voice speak to my heart as I'm comparing myself with all these other pastors that I looked up to and how I'm not like them. I, hold the, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I didn't call you to be them. I called you to be you. And because I am with you, I'm going to help you get through this. I'm going to help you grow this. And I want you to hear this, that because of God's encouragement that afternoon, I made the decision all on my own to give up video games as I uh, experienced them before. I made the decision that afternoon that I would not purchase or play video games to the extent that I did before. And I want to make this clear, okay, for I see some parents looking at their children. This was what God commanded and convicted me to do. It's not because I think video games are sinful. Just for me, it was unprofitable. Like, I can invest so much more of my time getting good at a video game, but that wouldn't get me anywhere. Was I going to invest my time getting better at games or preparing myself for the next level of leadership that God had called me to? And so because of God's encouraging word to me that day, not guilt, I changed my behavior. I've titled today's teaching... As we conclude Triggers and Buttons, I've titled it this, Triggers and Buttons to Train Your Brain. I want to talk about how triggers and buttons can help train our brain. I want you to turn to the book of Joshua. At home, you can follow along on the screens here. You can follow along on the app or on the screens as well. In Joshua chapter 1, we get to drop into a conversation that God is having with a man named Joshua, the one who would serve as Moses' successor. And this is an important conversation, a critical conversation, a preparation as he assumes the next level of leadership that God has called him to. In Joshua 1, verse 6, it says this. God says to him, he says, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your fathers to give them. Now, at this point, Joshua had not done anything yet, but God says to him, I want you to be strong. He didn't say, I want you to feel strong. He says, I want you to be strong. Because oftentimes in life, we have to be things that we do not feel. We have to do things that we do not feel. The right thing is always the right thing to do, even though it is not easy to do. But what so many of us do is we let our life follow our feelings. And when we don't feel well, when we are anxious, when we are angry, we end up not doing anything because we don't feel like it. But what God is calling us to do is to change our thinking. The next level of leadership that God is calling us to is going to happen and we're going to experience it head first. If we can change our mind, our life will follow. So God's telling Joshua, Joshua, you're about to step into a new level of leadership that you cannot anticipate the weight of, and I need you to be strong. I need you to be strong because some people, they're going to be triggered that I called you, and they may push your buttons because they'd rather have Caleb, and they're angry, but I need you to be strong and to understand that my opinion matters more than theirs. Be strong. And then he says this, he says, be very courageous. Again, he doesn't tell him to feel courage. He tells him to be courageous. 
Because courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to, to, in spite of fear, still act upon what you should. He says, Joshua, you, you cannot possess Canaan without courage. Joshua 1.7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful, listen to this, to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. He says, I want you to pay careful attention to the law that Moses commanded you. See, Joshua learned a lot of lessons from Moses by what he said and by what he did. And some of the things that Moses said were positive. Some of the things that Moses did was negative. But Joshua was able to learn from all of them. Why? Because he based his learning on what God had said first. He was able to learn from all of them because his basis of learning was what God had spoken in his law. Take, take, take for instance, when Moses had the opportunity to inhabit the promised land, do you remember what he did? He gathered 12 spies. He says, I want you to go check things out and then come back and tell us what you hear. And so 10 of them came back and they said, oh, no, no, it's bad news. There's giants there. I mean, they're going to get us. There's no way we can defeat them. And they decided not to go and inhabit the land that God had promised them. This was a leadership mistake on Moses' part. But then we see Joshua. He learned from Moses. He learned what not to do from Moses. When he had the opportunity to inhabit the promised land, do you remember what he did? He said, listen up, everybody, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to march around the walls of this city called Jericho, and we're going to do it for seven days. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. And I don't want you to say a single word. I don't want you to talk about how difficult or how tiring or how boring it is. I don't want you to say a single word. And on the seventh time, as we go around on the seventh day, when I give the charge, the only thing I want you to do is to shout. Do you understand? There was a difference. He learned what not to do through Moses' mistake. And I want to make this clear. He, it's not because people's opinions don't matter. Okay, this is how people get in trouble. They never listen, listen to the wisdom of the multitude of counselors. But the lesson here that he had to learn is what happens when the wrong mouths speak to the right ears at the wrong time. What happens it affects everybody's thinking. So the first big idea that I want us to understand is this. Write this down. Be mindful of what you let enter into your mind. Be mindful of what you let enter your mind. Because our mental health is not just determined by what we listen to. It's also determined by what we don't. Are we going to listen to the critics? Are we going to listen to the culture? Because what Jesus said, he says, those who have ears to hear, I want you to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And I pray today you can hear what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today. Joshua 1.8, here's what it is. God doesn't want us to stay stagnant where we're at. He wants us to get to the next level of our leadership and grow. And today, I want to help us to understand how we can get there, how we can play a part in, in seeing this come to pass in our life. And it says here in Joshua 1.8, the key. It says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Say meditate. meditate. 
You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. In this next level of new things that God was speaking to Joshua, that God is calling us to today, he's saying you need to meditate. Now I want to make this clear. Meditating does not mean putting on yoga pants and wearing tie-dye and sitting crisscross applesauce and saying, um, that's not what meditation is. Meditation means to keep your attention fixated and focused on one singular thing. It means to inundate your mind with the word of God constantly, to give careful attention to God's word and let it dominate your thinking. That we need to be mindful of what we let enter into our mind. He's telling Joshua, Joshua, if if you fixate on what they're thinking, it's going to trigger you and you're not going to move forward. Joshua, if you focus on what they're saying about you, it's going to push your buttons and you're not going to be able to move forward. So God said, I want you to meditate on my words. A renewed mind is a meditating mind. We have to think about what we're thinking about because what we think about affects our attitude. Our attitude affects our mood. Our mood affects our altitude. And so we have to think about what we're thinking about. We, we should not think on things that we should not be thinking about because when we do that, it affects our mind. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 5.8. He says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. He says, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what does he say? Think about these things. Think about them. Verse 9, And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me about thinking about the right things, he says, practice these things, and then the God of peace, say peace, the God of peace will be with you. If you want peace, you don't get peace by simply not thinking about things that are bad. You want peace, you have to think on what is good. Last week, I had the honor of teaching with my wife, Jessica, and it was an incredible time of preparation and a fun time of of communication with her. And she said something um, that that, that was unscripted, but but, uh, the reality remains the same. When I told her to calm down, she said, you can't tell people to calm down. That never works, right? Calm down. No, I'm thinking about the thing that, that you told me to calm down about, and so now I am not calm. The same is true with this. If we tell people, hey, don't think about that thing. You've just said the thing that they shouldn't be thinking about, and now they're thinking about it. So the way to stop thinking about the wrong thing is by thinking on what you should think about. If you want to stop thinking about what you shouldn't, you need to start thinking about what you should. And when you start thinking about what you should think about, it evicts from your mind the things that you shouldn't. Do you understand? Write this down. Meditating on God's word gets rid of the thoughts that aren't God's thoughts. Meditating on God's word gets rid of the thoughts that aren't God's thoughts. So what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? 
When we think on God's word, it, it, it goes against the lies of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10.3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, listen to this, we're not waging war according to the flesh. The person that's pushing your buttons, that's triggering you, they are not your enemy. The enemy is not made of flesh and blood. He's spirit behind. His name is Satan. So we're not fighting a physical war. Verse 4, though, but it says, For the weapons, say weapons, We'll talk about that. For the weapons of our warfare are not of this flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive, captive to do what? To obey Christ. Meaning what Jesus says about me is what I make all my other thoughts obey. Did you hear that? What Jesus thinks and what Jesus has said about me is what I make all my other thoughts obey. Because Satan, what he can do is he can influence our imaginations to believe things that aren't necessarily true. Right? Like, let's see if this triggers you. Maybe someone has called you up and said, hey, can we meet somewhere? Because I need to talk to you. You gotta talk to me. Does, does that trigger some of you? Does that give you anxiety? The boss says, hey, after work, can you meet me in my office? I need to talk to you. And our mind starts imagining things that aren't necessarily true. I'm not, I'm not making this story up just for the theme of this series, but the reality is growing up, my childhood best friend, his name was Adrian Moreno, still my best friend today. And, and when we were younger, we served in a church together and we liked to play video games together at Flippers Arcade. And so one day he calls me up and says, hey, Eric, can we go meet at Flippers? I said, sure, Adrian, man, yeah, let's, well, what's up? He says, well, I gotta talk to you about something serious. I'm like, well, what do you gotta talk? We'll talk about it in the arcade. I'm like, Okay, so now I'm driving to this place that brings me so much happiness, but my mind is rushing like, what does he have to talk to me about? Is, is he gonna leave the church? Oh no, if he leaves the church, and then I'm not gonna have my best friend with me. And if he leaves the church, then, then I'm gonna have to fulfill his roles as a youth pastor. And if I have to take care of his responsibility, then I have to work less. And if I work less, I'm gonna have less money. And if I have less money, then I, then I can't take women out on dates to figure out which one of them is my wife. And if I can't take women out on dates, then, then, then I'm gonna be single the rest of my life. And if I'm single the rest of my life, then I'm gonna live home with my parents and my life is gonna be ruined. All of this simply because someone said, hey, I need to talk to you. This is what happens. So we have to meditate on God's word. Say meditate. We have to meditate on God's word. What does that mean? Practically. I want to give us three things today. Three ways that we can meditate on God's word. What does it mean to meditate on God's word? The first thing I want you to write down is this. It means to study. Say study. It means to study God's word. What you study is what you will specialize in, right? When I was younger, I studied special moves in Street Fighter and in Tekken and in Mortal Kombat, and I was an expert at those fighting games. I got good at those fighting games because I studied them, but what I studied did not get me anywhere good. And so if we want to get somewhere good, if we want to specialize in something, look what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable, listen to this, for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for us to be who God has called us to be. Verse 17, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for what? Every good work. 
If you want to think good things and do good things, you know what's good for that? God's word. God's word will grow you in what is good. Why? Because it's living, it's active, it's powerful. Inherent in the word of God is the life of God. And so when we spend time in God's word, studying it, we're spending time in the presence of God. We get to hear his voice. We get to hear his heart. We're meeting and we're experiencing God when we spend time in his word. Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is, is living and it is powerful. And then it talks about how it affects us. It says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, your flesh and the spirit that God has put into you you and of joints and marrow and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart again when we talk about the heart when the bible talks about the heart it's not talking about the palpitating muscle behind our rib cage it's talking about the center of who we are our thinking our imaginations it's talking about our mind and so when I talk about studying God's word I want you to hear this it doesn't simply mean reading God's words when I talk about us studying God's word, it's not simply doing your daily devotional for obligation or simply completion. No, God wants to bring transformation. And so if all you're doing is reading God's word, can I tell you, if you're not hearing God's voice, you're not gonna grow. When I say study God's word, I'm not simply saying read it. I'm saying let it read you. Let it speak to you. If, if God's word is not speaking to you, what good is it? And this is why we ask those two fundamental questions at the end of every gathering. What's God teaching you? What's the other one? What are you going to do about it? What action are you going to take so that the spirit of God can put into practice through your life what he wants to do? So here's what I want us to understand when we talk about studying God's word. God's word is alive and is powerful as a weapon. Say weapon. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 17 that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So studying God's word is equivalent to learning how to use a weapon. And too many followers of Jesus, they, they read God's word, but they don't see it as a weapon to combat the attacks of the enemy. And so a, 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 a mind without God's word is like a weapon without ammo. And we have to learn how to use the spiritual weapon that God has given us to combat the lies of the enemy. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4. Again, let's go back to Matthew 4, 5. It says this, it says, Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, sent him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Why? For it is written. Uh-oh. Satan is quoting Scripture. Satan is quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan knows God's word, but you know what he does? He takes it out of context. He takes it out of context. 
And when the word of God is taken out of context, it no longer becomes something that God uses to build people up, but what the enemy uses to destroy them, to beat them down. He takes God's word out of context and it keeps us bound. It doesn't set us free. And so the word of God, the Bible, is a weapon, but not against people. It's meant to build people up, not not beat them down. Because that's what Satan does. Satan takes God's word out of context and then accuses followers of Jesus to get them to believe they are not worthy, to get them to believe that they cannot be used by God, that they are not loved by God. This is why we need to study his word. This is why we need to know his word so that when he speaks lies to us and he takes God's word out of context to accuse us, we can do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Matthew 4.10, Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. He knew God's word. He used it as a weapon. It is written, the Lord, uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. We, we have to know God's word. Because when Satan comes at us with a lie and says, you're never going to make it. We can come back and say, no, no, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, Satan. When he says that the door's never gonna open up, you'll never have what you need, we can say, no, for my God shall supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Are you getting this, 1030? Yeah. Come on, turn, turn to two people. Tell them, you better fight back. <laughs> Let them know, I only heard one person. Go to the other person. You better fight back. How can we meditate on God's word? First thing is to study God's word. Second thing is this, pray God's word. How can we meditate on God's word? It's not sitting down and, and just being mindful. and um, No, no, it's studying his word. It's opening this up and studying. And then it's also praying his word. Now, I told you, I've taken my kids to the arcade. It's not the same thing. I took them a few weeks ago. Again, it's like a little casino for kids. I'm like, we're not going to waste money on these little plastic trinkets. And so we have a PlayStation at home. And my kids know that they can play the PlayStation, but only on the weekends after school. And so my kids, my two boys, their favorite superhero is Spider-Man. There's this new Spider-Man game out. I bought it for them. Amazon primed it. It arrived on a Wednesday. So when it arrived, my kids opened up. They're like, oh, it's a Spider-Man game. I'm going to play Spider-Man. I said, no, you're not. No, you will play it on Friday. Okay? So Friday morning before the sun's even out, my little four-year-old runs to our room. Dad, it's Friday. I'm going to play Spider-Man now. I said, no, you're not. You know what he said to me? But you said, you said I could play it on Friday. Yes, I did say that. But now's not the time. You literally have lessons to learn before you can experience what I promised you would. You have to go to school. You have to say your memorization verse. You have to do your one plus one and spell cat and dog. And then after school, you can come home and experience the promise. So he said something so simple, yet so profound. He understood. He said, oh, so not now. Yeah, not now. I just thought that was, that was so... <laughs> I was so wise. Because what is prayer? 
Prayer is simply communication in a relationship with God. We have access to our Heavenly Father with no dividing wall of hostility or separation. We can come to God for whatever, whenever, and speak anything that is on our mind, and it will not change the love that He has for us. That's what prayer is. It's being in relationship with the God who's created us and loves us. But let me tell you what prayer is not. Prayer is not where we tell God what to do. See, maybe you have heard this lie before that when you pray, it moves the heart of God. No, it doesn't. You can't pray such a beautiful prayer and put some soft-sounding music in the background and have your three-legged dog and say, God, I need a miracle right now. Give Pepe his, you know, Pepe, sorry, Pepe, my brains. <laughs> oh, I should not have gone off script. I didn't say anything about a dog last service. You can, <laughs> okay, we're going to erase that. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. You cannot pray a prayer to move God. God already loves. God already cares. God already knows. The point of prayer is not to move God. The point of prayer is to move us. It's to move our hearts. So when we pray, listen to this. Pray what God said. When you pray, pray God's promises. But the reason we do that is not to remind him. The reason we do that is to remind ourselves. To remind ourselves of who he is, of how he loves, of how he cares. Because are you aware of this? God answers every single prayer. He answers every single prayer. Sometimes he answers yes, and we love it when God answers yes, amen? Sometimes God answers no. And can I tell you, that's good as well. Because if God gave you everything you prayed for, what a world that would be. If God gave me everything I prayed for, I would not be married to Jessica, I'd be married to Paula Abdul, because when I was 10 years old, God, would you let me marry Paula Abdul? Two steps forward, I take two steps back. Like... <laughs> He says no. He answers no. But sometimes God answers not now. Because there's some learning we have to, we have to understand. There, there's some growing he wants us to go through. Because God wants to bless us, but he doesn't want the blessing to become a burden because we have not been prepared by training and by waiting, and by growing for what he wants to do in our lives. See, for Joshua, God called him to take over when he was ready. Not when he was willing, not when he was able, but when he was ready. Because when he was ready, he was not affected by the triggers and the buttons of the people, and he can love them, and he can lead them well, because he was well himself. And so one of the ways that we can be prepared for what God wants to do in our life is by praying God's promises to remind ourselves of who he is and what he can do. Amen. So what does it mean to meditate on God's word? It means to study God's word. It means to pray God's word. Final thing is this. It means to speak God's word. To speak it. 2 Corinthians 4.13 Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. He says, we also believe and so we also speak. 
Now, I want to make this clear because we live in a very spiritual culture, but it's not necessarily Christian. And there are a lot of spiritual places around here that believe something in, called word faith. That if I speak it into existence, it will be created. That if I can name it, I can claim it. This mystical, magical belief that we somehow have authority from God to literally create things out of our words. God has that power. But God did not give us that power. This is not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that I am convicted of something inside of my heart. Therefore, I will confess it with my mouth. And even though what I confess with my mouth may not change my situation, it will change my heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when my mouth speaks it, my head hears it, it hides it in my heart. And out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth speaks. And then my mind hears it, hides it in my heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so God has given us this spiritual strategy to come against the unhealthy patterns of thinking that go opposed to the word of God. So we need to speak his word. We need to say it out loud. I want to do this as we begin to conclude today, okay? I need you to put, on, put your attentive ears on. I'm going to ask you to do something, okay? Here's what I'm going to do. When I count down from three to one and I say go, I want everyone in here to count down in your mind from 100 to one. Got it? When I say go, in your mind, don't say it out loud, in your mind, I want you to count from 100 down to one. And as you're doing that, I'm gonna give you some instruction. And when I give you the instruction, I want you to do it immediately and loudly. Got it? Got it? Some of you, you gotta go back and get your GED. You didn't understand that. It's okay, perfect place for imperfect people. All right? I'm gonna say go. Count from 100 to one in your mind. Then I'm gonna give you some instruction Loudly and immediately follow it. Yes? Three, two, one. Count down from 100 in your mind. Now here's what I want you to do as you're counting down. I want you to scream, Jesus! Jesus! Say it again. Jesus! Jesus! One more time. Jesus! Let me ask you, why did you stop counting in your mind? Some are like, I didn't stop counting. Yes, you did. You did not say Jesus with your mouth and say 79 in your mind. You may have paused, but you stopped counting. Why did that happen? Because you cannot be thinking something in here and speaking something out of here without what you speak disrupting your pattern of thinking. Do you understand that? And so the practical application of speaking God's word is sometimes things feel so overwhelming. Sometimes your situation feels impossible and your mind is roaming, your mind is wandering and it's believing all of these lies. And in those moments, the most appropriate and powerful thing that you can do is just scream, Jesus! You just cry out to him. And it will change your thinking. It will disrupt the patterns of thinking that you have lived out for so long. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.